your source for all the latest Batman news related to movies, television, merchandise, and video games. Thanks for making the Batman Universe your ultimate source for Batman news. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe podcast, episode number 85. I am your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Melinda. And I'm the ray of bitterness in your day of sunshine, Job. We are bringing the latest movie, TV, merchandise, video game, and general news from the month of April. We are also going to obviously have some listener Q&As from the previous episode, so... There is a little bit of news here and there, specifically about the video games, was really the big stuff that happened this month, but uh, we'll go through all of the news, and we will discuss everything. So, let's jump straight into movie news. I'm willing to put my life on the line to do what I have to, but it has to be mine, no one else's. Into movie news, we don't really have a whole lot of uh, movie news to actually go over. The MTV Movie Awards did happen in April, and The Dark Knight Rises won absolutely no MTV Movie Awards. Not that it's, at least to me, that big of a deal that they didn't win, because quite honestly, I would have rather have some actual awards like the Oscars or Golden Globe nominations or something like that compared to the MTV Movie Awards. Nonetheless, they didn't win in May this month, as you're listening to this podcast. Superman Unbound is releasing on DVD and Blu-ray, and will be available on demand as well, so you can check that out. Batman is not in that whatsoever, but it is a DC Universe animated film that is releasing. But we also do know that later on in this month, Lego Batman will finally release on DVD and Blu-ray as well, so be sure to be checking out the website as the movie is actually released. I believe it is going to be released May 21st or May 28th. I can't remember exactly the date, and it's been a while since they've actually done any PR about that movie, but be sure to be checking out the website, and we will be sure as it gets closer, I'm sure there might be maybe another clip or something released from it that they will release in order to promote the release of the film on DVD and Blu-ray. The last bit of movie news that we have before we move on is actually on April 17th, Warner Brothers announced that the next DC animated film will be Justice League The Flashpoint Paradox. Now this will come out later on in the summer. It's street dated for July 30th. As Superman Unbound releases, we'll probably see that 10-minute, you know, behind-the-scenes type clip that they've had on all of the DC animated films that have released, showing off some of the art from the the art style from the the film, as well as some of the voice talent and things like that. They have actually released some of the voice talent. Batman is actually going to be voiced by Kevin McKidd. We don't know exactly how they are turning the Flashpoint series into a movie, if it's just going to be Flashpoint miniseries, or if it's going to incorporate some of these other elements from Flashpoint, since there are so many other miniseries attached to the event. But uh, nonetheless, July 30th is when it will be coming out, and I have to say I'm looking forward to this, because I enjoyed the Flashpoint series. 
like Dustin, I really enjoyed the Flashpoint series, but I think the biggest thing that I'm I'm curious about is why they took so long to adapt this one, whether it was started, you know, when the new 52 actually started or not. I because this really led into the new 52, I think that it's curious that the timing is so late after the launch of the new 52. So, but I'm super excited to see it. The the one still that I've seen from it looks great. Really excited. Yeah, I think Kevin McKidd is a fantastic choice for Batman. I think he's a fantastic actor in train spotting. He's been in so much stuff that's uh, I just think fantastic. He was great in Rome, and I think he'll bring bring a real darkness and interest to the character that that really is you know befitting of the character and i think if he pulls it off hopefully we could maybe see him in his own little movie which i I, you know i would i would be really interested in watching all right so then with that we don't have any other movie news there really wasn't any new rumors that popped up in the month of april to really discuss about justice league or the uh, Batman films, there was a small little blurb on Entertainment Weekly. There was an issue of Entertainment Weekly that released in April with Man of Steel on the cover, and if you read towards the end of the article, Jeff Robinoff from Warner Brothers kind of talked about the future of the DC Universe in films, and he mentioned that planning on doing more, and they're really hoping that Man of Steel is going to be the launching point for the eventual Justice League movie that will release. The interesting bit was online. There was an actual an added article or an extended article, and the article said that in fact he confirmed that Chris Nolan is not involved with Justice League at all as a producer or as a director. And he also stated that they are completely planning on rebooting Batman, you and using the same Batman with the Justice League film as well. So. Chris Nolan's films will still stand on stand on their own as it really has always been. There was just a couple rumors about whether or not they were going to tie it t- together, but he confirmed that the Nolan trilogy stands by itself and will not actually be a part of the Justice League film or of the continuing franchise that they're going to develop with the DC Universe. I know we touched on this briefly last month, but that's kind of a relief that it's not really Nolan related. It takes a lot of the pressure off of the movie. I know the pressure is still there for it to perform so that we can have an extended DC universe in film, but I think that the pressure will be so much less because Christopher Nolan isn't there and people won't be expecting the golden touch. Yeah. I think with the Nolan universe, they would have, really made a rod for their own back people would have been comparing it to the films trying to to fit it in and expecting either christian bale or jason gordon levitt to to be batman and to explain it and you know i think we saw partly with some of the 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 backlash against the dark knight rises that that can be quite a a problematic thing when you've set the bar so high if you don't, in people's opinion, top that, then it could cause a lot of problems. But I, I think as well, with them suggesting that they're going to reboot Batman first 
and have that be the Batman in the Justice League movie. I honestly don't think that we're going to be seeing a Justice League movie in 2015 when they're scheduling it. I think we're going to see it probably more 2017, 2018, to be honest, because I think what they would be wise to do is get all of the main characters, individual films or TV series, if they're going to use the Green Arrow from the TV series Arrow and and, and do it that way rather than rush it out and create something disappointing, really. Yeah, I would agree. At this point, I don't see them being able to pull off the 2015 release date because the the biggest problem with this is the fact that we are just about two years away from a 2015 release date. And as as great as it would be to see a Justice League film by 2015, I just I don't see it happening. You know, there was there was word that last year the script was being written, then the script that was written was thrown out, and the the writer was fired. They never really talked about a new writer coming on board. They still don't have a director attached to it. They still don't have anybody cast. And I know that uh, at least the the casting aspect and beginning to film doesn't actually take that long. But if we don't hear a director announced in probably I'd say the next six months, it's I just there's no way it's going to happen by 2015 because it's just. If they they try to put it out in 2015 just to do it, it's going to end up being rushed. And what's going to end up happening is either they'll push it back to 2016 because they won't have enough time to actually complete it, or in general they just they'll change the release to you know later in later in time. I don't completely agree with your comment, John, about they have to put out all these individual films ahead of time. That's that's what they did with Marvel, and and that worked for Marvel, but. In some ways, I think that there's some characters in the DC Universe that it's, uh, as great of characters as they are, and I'm specifically talking about Wonder Woman, Flash, Aquaman, as great as these characters are, I don't see DC or Warner Brothers putting a ton of money into these characters to get their own films. And we have to look at this from the perspective of Warner Brothers, when when Marvel started doing this with all of the Avengers, Avenger characters, there was almost a different studio that was doing every character. Iron Man was, I believe, Paramount. We had Hulk being done by Universal. Well, Thor and Captain America were eventually, they switched over because Marvel was bought out by Disney. But at the time, all of these, these, these projects were lined up with different companies. Look at it from X-Men is with 20th Century Fox, Spider-Man's with Sony. So Marvel had all of these different studios doing these films and putting a lot of money into it. Because Warner Brothers does all of their own films, for Warner Brothers to legitimately put out all of these films in a short amount of time, it's just unfeasible, especially if they don't have enough confidence that they're going to be giant blockbuster films. You know, to put out a Flash movie, a Wonder Woman movie, an Aquaman, maybe even do a different Green Lantern or just leave Green Lantern alone and do a sequel or something, it's going to be a situation where they're, they're, they have a lot of money riding on these characters and if they don't perform really well, it's not going to end up leading to the Justice League, that you know, the, the, the blockbuster that they want for Justice League. So with Superman, because he's a standalone character and even, even so with Batman... 
with those characters, you can actually, because they're they're so well known by themselves, they can be the giant blockbusters that can lead to the Justice League film. And then if Justice League is super successful, then you can have all of these, you know, other other films focusing on some of the characters that mainstream aren't nearly as popular as Batman and Superman. So I think that it's entirely possible that that's the route that they could take. And maybe we see, as as sudden as it would seem, maybe the better option for them is not necessarily to focus on the Justice League film, but maybe, so they're doing Man of Steel, if that ends up doing really well, continuing on and maybe doing another sequel. And then maybe in between the two sequels, maybe just get right into rebooting Batman. As As sudden as it would seem... If they want a Batman that's different from what Chris Nolan did for the Justice League film, they need to reboot that and get Batman rolling. And then they've got two giant characters that can carry Justice League when they come together. And that would be an interesting story. You've got Superman by himself, Batman by himself, Superman by himself again, and then you lead straight into the Justice League film where the two of them come together. Well, who's not going to want to see Batman and Superman come together? And then, by the way, you get introduced to all these other characters that they recruit in the process, and they are like the founding members of the Justice League, and they actually recruit, you know, Wonder Woman, Flash. You know, the movie is about their journey of finding these other characters, and that could be really interesting. Yeah, I agree to an extent, but the problem, I think, with that, if you do just the Batman and the Superman films, yeah, fine, you know that they're going to be box office successes. And, you know, I think Green Lantern is probably the example that people will use when they go, well, should we look at a Wonder Woman film? Should we look at The Flash? And they'll go, well, Green Lantern isn't as well known and his film didn't do brilliantly but i think that was much more down to terrible writers having ryan reynolds as green lantern and there was a whole host of other factors the problem if you don't do an individual film is you're going to basically end up with a revolving door for a movie where you're introducing all these characters and hurrying them through and sort of having to establish the their backstory in a 90-minute movie. But I think, well, I doubt it would be 90 minutes. I, I'm sure, well, let's just look at the Dark Knight movies. All of, they, all of them were over two and a half hours long, or two, or at least two hours long. So 90 minutes, I think, would is, 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 is not even possible when it comes to movies that are actually expected to make a crap ton of money, at least a billion dollars in the box office worldwide. What I do think, though, is that as great as it would be to have the origins of Flash and and Aquaman and Wonder Woman focused on, I don't think that that's really that important. They could just really do small little scenes about how they came to be, and it could be them explaining it to Batman and Superman, blah, 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 or don't really explore their origins at all, introduce them, bank on the fact that Batman and Superman are going to sell the movie by itself, just introduce these characters, and then from there, you get interest in these other characters that garner the support needed for their standalone films, so that way you can explore it. And then, because you've already been introduced to these characters, you can have flashbacks where, you know, you see how they came to be, or things like that, or... Because some of these characters, it's not really that extremely relevant for us to talk about and, ex- like, 
I look at Wonder Woman, and, and I like Wonder Woman and everything, but like, quite honestly, her her origin is extremely dated in the way where if I'm going to watch a movie, I don't necessarily... Wonder Woman would be the, the, the equivalent in my mind of something like Wrath of the Titans, Clash of the Titans, or even to a degree 300, something like that, because it's that kind of action. It's, it's the gladiator stuff, but it's dated, and... You know, those movies that I just mentioned did well, but none of them had a female lead the entire film. And I know that that's a big thing when it comes to movies nowadays is can a movie that has a female lead that's not a romantic comedy or something like that really be successful? And there's been films that have been action movies where they've had female leads and they do well. They just don't do as well as, as you know, a lot of people would hope that they would do. So the thing is that by focusing on these characters and giving them movies, I think it'll actually harm the possibilities of the Justice League becoming this giant movie. Because by having a Wonder Woman movie come out, they put a lot of money in behind it, and then it, it fail, it's going to then just, just, you know, again, knock it down. Just like Green Lantern did a couple of years ago. When Green Lantern came out, that movie didn't do very well, and in turn, you know, Look aside the the horrible writing. Look aside the the poor casting and the direction of the marketing and all of that. And ultimately, you have a movie that just underperformed, and it's a reason in the long run for them to hold back on doing more movies related to these characters. So but that's that's not the characters' fault. That's the that's Warner Brothers' fault for picking terrible writers. And, and picking terrible directors. You know, I, I actually think, really, if they had, if they thought about it and released a Wonder Woman movie now, and it had a good writer and it had a good director, then you actually would probably strengthen the character and, and you would have an excellent chance to, to launch the film forward. I mean, look at The Hunger Games and, to an extent, The Host. I mean, The Host is a terrible film, but... These are films that really have done quite well with with female characters in the lead, and it, you know the the teenage girl market is is huge. If you can tap into that, I mean, look at Titanic. Titanic, you know, you had teenage girls going round and round and round to 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 watch it, and and if you could do the same with Wonder Woman, you you know you've got a potential hit on your hand. Whether they do this, you could do the same with Flash. I, you know, is is debatable. Maybe that would would work for a TV series. See, I, um, I I do agree with you as far as you know. There is that teenage market, but I think one of the reasons why movies like Twilight and movies like The Hunger Games are so successful is because the characters are very relatable. Wonder Woman, there's no way to relate to Wonder Woman as far as her origin goes. If you spend an ent- uh, half a movie talking about her origin, she comes off as completely unrelatable. And even when you look at the character in general, she's a god who is, you know, this gladiator woman. And there's that's not relatable. And the problem is that a lot of times, character they, you know, they break these characters down to the point where how can they be relatable to the audience? If they can't be relatable to the audience then it's it's not going to do well and and I and I completely agree with that because if you look at Thor and Thor is a good example because Thor's a god 
you know, they spent uh, the first, I think it was like 15, 20 minutes of the movie with him on Asgard and dealing with the whole God element. And then he gets brought back down to Earth. And what do they do? He's got no powers. He's suddenly relatable to, you know, the normal audience. He has no powers. He's dealing with, you know, learning things on Earth uh, that are completely out of mind to him because he's not from Earth. And then you have him, whole romantic element with him and Jane. And because of that thing, then he eventually gets his powers, blah, blah, blah. But then we move forward to even uh, Avengers. What's Thor? He's got his powers, but they don't focus on Thor the majority of the film because he has his powers. You're more related to Bruce Banner, who just is trying to control his anger. You're 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 more acquainted with Iron Man, who you know, is this genius who has his personal problems. And those are the characters that they focused on. I mean, everybody left the Avengers loving Hulk. And it was because the majority of the film wasn't about Hulk just destroying crap. It was about the fact that the character of Bruce Banner was a very, was done very well because it was more relatable. And then, you you know, he had some great lines and that helped obviously when he was the Hulk. Yeah, but you could do the same with with Wonder Woman. I, I I do agree. I do think that she's you know origin story is outdated, and it really does need an update. And you know, frankly, completely touching up. But you know, a good writer would do that. I mean, you could do the whole awkward fish out of water the whole thing. I mean, depending. I think depending on what origin story you go with. I think originally she got kicked out of. Themyscira. Themyscira, didn't she? Uh, and and had and got dumped on in in the human world and had to deal with with being, you know, deal with that and 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 break into social groups and things like that. I mean, that's a that's a perfect film there. If you you know, if you make Wonder Woman, and I, I know that it's going to annoy you know, true fans of Wonder Woman who will go onto the internet and go, that's not my Wonder Woman. But but that's how, you know, that's how you create a new audience. And that, that, that would be a great story and that would be an interesting story to tell. And it would get people through the door. It's, you know, it's, it is relatable. Even though she's got these God powers, she's an awkward fish out of water. It's how pre... I mean, I'm not a teenage girl, but I remember being a teenage boy, and that's how you spent most of your teenage life feeling. And I think that that would that would sell, and that, you know, would do really well. But it comes back to having the right writer for it and the right director and not rushing it. Because, uh, to me, I don't think there's anything about these characters, apart from maybe Aquaman, which I think is probably quite a hard sell, that wouldn't work. I mean, look at Arrow. I wouldn't say Green Arrow would make an initial successful TV series. He's a guy who gets stuck on an island and becomes Robin Hood, basically. And they'd taken that concept, changed it a bit, jazzed it up a bit, made it a bit more spunky, sexy, you know, put glitter on it. And it's it, it's been a rating success. I don't necessarily by your argument that you can do that with with any of the other characters but see and i think the biggest element is green arrow doesn't have powers he just doesn't he i mean his his he he doesn't have any superpowers i should say 
And same thing with Batman. One of the reasons why Batman has been so successful is because he has no powers. He's relatable. And I, and I, I and trust me, I completely agree with your statement about you know you need the, the the right writers and you need the right director. And I agree with that. The problem is that I think nowadays people there there's like two two aspects when it comes to finding good writers. One is that there's writers out there who don't want to take risks because there's a format that works and they will stick with the format that works because that gets them work. And then there's other writers out there who will take risks. And then there's executives at the studios that don't want to take risks on that style of writing. So then you end up just getting this constant run-of-the-mill stuff. And that's why we so we see a ridiculous amount of sequels. We see a ridiculous amounts of remakes. Because nobody has... There's very few people nowadays who have original concepts. There, I mean, I can think of only a few people off the top of my head that have had original concepts that turned out really well because the studios took a chance on them. And Chris Nolan would be one of them with Inception. That was a great movie. It was an original concept that I had never thought about before. And it was done really well. because they, But they took a risk on him because of the success that he did with, uh, you know, Batman. So, I mean, that's the problem nowadays is that just in general, studios are not willing to take risks on directors and create and writers because of how much money they're actually going to have to just you know gamble no i agree but but this and and this is my final thing before i obviously let melinda talk because i've rabbited on long enough but okay fine if you know I, i do agree with you it's part of the industry's problem and they do want to take writers who work in their set format and work in a set way but, you know, when you say about superpowers and them not being relatable, then are you expecting Superman to tank? Because that's a guy who is basically indestructible. Uh, you know? <laughs> and has I think, ridiculous... No, I don't, I don't think it's going to tank. I think there's the element of Superman has a much, much larger fan base than Wonder Woman, number one. Number two, Superman might have powers, but... The, the 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 difference is we at least from the trailers we 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 know from reports online that there is going to be a ton of action and this that and the other but a majority of the film is again this character who is struggling with being different from everyone else and yes you could incorporate that to almost any of the DC characters who have superpowers but how many times can you actually do that before it gets old Melinda, yeah, Melinda, what is your <laughs> thoughts on this this topic? Okay, so having actually been a teenage girl and one of the ones that went and saw you know, Titanic, I think five times in theaters, I do feel a little bit qualified to to speak on this. But as for Wonder Woman, now John is arguing that you have to introduce the characters before you get to the Justice League movie because otherwise it's a revolving door. Dustin is arguing that. They can be introduced in the Justice League and break off into their own movies after if the characters test well. These are both really valid points. If you want to have all the characters introduced in the Justice League movie, that's fine. You can have them appear in bit roles in the other movies just like they did with the Avengers. You could have Diana Prince show up in a Superman movie. You know, you don't have to make any mention of the fact that she's Wonder Woman. But if Diana Prince is there, that sets the stage for her to show up later. 
her movie doesn't even necessarily need to be her origins, like her specific getting kicked out of Themyscira origins. It could be her choosing to not go back because she does time and time again reject going back because she chooses to stay in the land of man because she feels that the better fight can be fought here. And I think that is probably something that's more along what John was saying about how, you know, one of you was saying about how the Hunger Games has done really well. Because, yes, we're finally getting a lot of really strong female role models in movies. And that, to me, speaks more to a female-led cast. When you get, when you get strong female characters, that, that's more inspirational than, you know, a romantic comedy. Because you're, you're sitting there with... You know, we don't even have to take the love aspect out of it. You can introduce her love interest, but it's very clear, especially in the comics, in everything, she's her own person, and she is not really going to put up with anything from anyone because she knows she can win whatever fight she's in. If you want to introduce that aspect of her character, I think it would do really well because we've already seen that strong female characters do perform well within the movies because you you had Black Widow who essentially won the entire movie for everybody. She's the one who shut down the portal. She climbed on the alien tech, you know, and I would also just like to point out, I was one of the people who really liked the Green Lantern movie, and even though, yeah, I recognize it suffered from just absolutely terrible, terrible writing. I thought the casting was a good choice, but it needed it needed a stronger script with it. So if they choose to bring back Green Lantern, as much as I liked Ryan Reynolds as Hal Jordan, I think that they do need to look at replacing him because you can't include that story in in the greater Justice League universe. All right, so I think that's a valid idea as well. I think that we probably have spent a little bit too much time talking about Justice League as we always end up doing, but uh, let's move into TV news. Patience, Princess. Intergang moves in mysterious ways. Tell me about it. What use could they possibly have for the Rosetta Stone? We'll find out soon enough. And in the meantime... I know. Patience. The big news for the month of April was that Teen Titans Go premiered at the end of the month. The series is now airing new episodes every Tuesday and then re-airing episodes on Saturday and Sunday mornings. So if you miss it on Tuesdays, you can watch it on Saturday and Sunday during the DC Nation block. I will just go on the record and say that I absolutely despise this show. This show reminds me of my feelings that I had for Teen Titans when the Teen Titans series came out and I saw bits here and there and really made my decision that based off those clips, this series sucked. Well, I watched the first episode of Teen Titans Go, and it absolutely sucked, and it reminded me of those feelings that I felt for the first series before I actually watched it, of them the odd animation style that I don't like at all, and then combine that with the fact that they're, they're spending even more time dealing with food and video games and all of the stuff that has nothing to do with the characters in the DC Universe. I mean, basically, this is a series that is, has the license of DC characters, but is not really doing these characters any justice. Not to mention, I'd love to know whose bright idea it was, 
you know, with DC being super anal retentive about using their characters in specific ways because of what they've done with the New 52, I'd love to know whose bright idea it was to green like this with Cyborg being part of the Teen Titans if Cyborg is part of the Justice League. Robin is no longer Robin. I mean, there's all kinds of different things that have happened in the New 52 that is contradicting it. So, you know, DC Entertainment's doing a great job of having this series basically disrupt the idea that they're trying to create in the comic book world by introducing children to these characters that are completely different than what is actually happening. I want to know who made Raven a brony. Like, she's essentially watching a My Little Pony ripoff in that. I, I don't even have... It was so terrible. It was just so awful. I struggled to get through the 20 minutes of it. I, I And it was broken up into two 10-minute chunks. It, I'm sure it's supposed to be teaching really wonderful lessons to small children, because that was the impression I got from the second half of the episode. But it was just so negated by how terrible this was, and... It was terrible. I think I'm going to sum up everybody's feelings in by saying that the person who greenlit this cancelled Young Justice and then greenlit the new Looney Tunes comic series should be taken outside, put up against a wall, and then beaten like a human pinata. And that's Wait, all I have to you say. Don't, on you the- don't like the new Looney Tunes show? Oh no! I'm I'm, not, I'm, I'm a massive fan of the the old Looney Tunes. I like the old Looney Tunes, too. I don't think that the new Looney Tunes series is that bad compared to this utter crap, but I do agree that it's not nearly as good as the original stuff, but I think that's more of the classic element. The The other elements of this Teen Titans show is that, you know, when you watch through cartoons, and I've got a son who's going to be turning three soon, so we watch cartoons a lot, and he's drawn a lot more to some of the classic stuff, and I don't know if that's just because I'm drawn to it, so I turn that stuff on more. We watch a lot of Tom and Jerry. We watch a lot of the old Looney Tunes shows. Uh, we watch uh, cartoons from the 80s, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Care Bears and a wide variety of different shows. But most of the stuff that we watch is, is the older stuff. When I flip through some of the newer shows... I really can't understand who the audience is, and if the audience is meant to be children, how the show is actually doing any good for children in general. I will agree that Teen Titans did have some messages of friendship and, I guess, fiscal responsibility I, for the second episode, if you really, really, really want to stretch. But uh, at the same point, I there's, there's so much, like, I, I don't know, like... There's something about watching Tom and Jerry just try to beat the crap out of each other or running from each other that's completely different than the stuff that we see nowadays. And and it, it, I guess it's what I guess I'm getting to that point where I'm just gonna start having to say I, I'm too old and I don't get it. But looking at some of the, the the popular cartoons of today, like Adventure Time, Regular Show some of the other shows that are even meant for smaller children, like Jake and the Neverland Pirates on Disney, the Disney Channel, and some of the shows that are on PBS, 
I I just in some ways don't really understand it. it some of the shows actually seem like an exact copy of other shows. So to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense as to why these shows are the way they are. When you when you look at the cartoons that were aimed at children the same age back in the 80s and early 90s, there was actual stories. There was there was actually like uh, some pride that the artists took in the work that they were creating compared to nowadays where it seems like stuff's just thrown together and it looks like blots of ink on the, on the TV screen. So I just... I just don't understand why everything has changed. I think there's a couple of different reasons for that. More so now, people are really, really being told don't use the TV as a babysitter. And unfortunately, that's leading to children being plopped in front of the TV even more. And, you know, 10 years ago, you look at the cartoons that were on, they were really, really ridiculously stupid. Well, they raised a generation of kids that, unfortunately, a lot of them are really, really ridiculously stupid. If you look at Adventure Time, that feels like it's aimed at a four-year-old because it's aimed at a person that smokes a lot of pot. Like, just tons of it. That is the only way I can see that being funny. But because you have kids that were raised on really stupid cartoons... They're getting really stupid cartoons continuing to be made because that's what advertisers are figuring is what sells. You know, you have smart cartoons and they get canceled. Dumb it down, you're good to go for four or five seasons. Yeah, bringing it back to the uh, to the Looney Tunes and things like that. If you look at sort of how they did the whole slapstick jokes and that kind of thing they are set in a very well-constructed concept. Tom and Jerry, it's a classic story, cat versus mouse. But they flipped it in that the mouse always wins, always gets the upper hand. It's the same with Tweety Pie and Sylvester. If you look at Bugs Bunny, Bugs Bunny is the, he's the underdog. He's the, the character that you, you root for, that you want to win. And, you know, Teen Titans and and a lot of modern cartoons just don't understand that and don't have that concept. They just think that if you throw a lot of stuff that kids find funny at a screen, it's it's going to stick. And it it doesn't. You need a well-constructed idea behind it for it to work because otherwise it becomes nonsense. Uh, uh, you know, and there's a British radio show in the UK that was massively popular in the 1950s, uh, ni- end of the 1940s, 1950s, called The Goon Show. And The Goon Show, if you listened to it and you had no idea what it is, it's a lot of noise, a lot of really weird sounds, and a lot of fart jokes and things like that. It works because it's in a well-constructed idea. It's in a well. It's got a storyline that flows. It's got established characters. You know who they are. It's taken the time to introduce them, and you know what's going to happen. So that makes it much funnier. And these programs today, and especially the new Teen Titan Go, it just doesn't have that. It's it's 
it's just trying to throw as much as it can at the screen in the hope that something sticks. It's not so much Teen Titans Go as Teen Titans, here you are, here's everything. And it, it doesn't work. All right, so outside of Teen Titans Go, we don't really have any other TV news. We will say that um, Beware of the Batman is hopefully coming out. We, we know it's coming out this summer, but hopefully sooner rather than later so we don't have to... We can focus on a different TV show here. We will not be doing episode breakdowns because um, it's not it's not even remotely worth it. And because of such the loose connection to the Batman universe, uh, we will re- report episodes as far as when new episodes are airing on the website. But we're not going to actually be breaking down the episodes since they don't really have a story element to them. But Beware the Batman will be a strong... I guess, left turn from this, hopefully. So hopefully that series is right around the corner. So that'll lead us straight into merchandise news. Me, Batman. Yeah, um, me, Guy. This, Ice. We friends. It's a pleasure to meet you. Guy and Ice come with Batman to Secret Hideout. Now let me guess. Batcave? Cave? <laughs> Cave is no place for secret hideout. This is Bat Tree. We have just a couple of different things. The DC collectibles for September 2013 have been announced. Uh, they were announced at the beginning of the month. There is a New 52 Trinity War box set, which features obviously Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. There is a DC Comics Supervillains The Joker action figure, which features Joker from the Death of the Family storyline with his sewed-on face or stapled face. There is a Hush Joker Harley Quinn and Stealth Batman action figure pack. A Batman Arkham City Batman statue. A Batman Arkham City Solomon Grundy deluxe action figure. A DC Comics Bombshells Poison Ivy statue. They will be releasing a DC Nation Ardman action figure pack that will feature Batman, Robin, Joker, Catwoman, and Superman, as all of those characters have appeared on the DC Nation block. They will be releasing a Justice League chess set, a Batman black and white Joker statue by Greg Capullo, also featuring the art from Death of the Family, a Batman black and white Batman statue by Greg Capullo, a Batman vs. Killer Croc statue. This is the second edition of this statue. And finally, another Hush action figure pack featuring Scarecrow, Nightwing, and Poison Ivy. Quite honestly, um, a lot of the DC stuff is normally a little bit higher priced than I would prefer to pay. But out of all of these items that have been announced, I have decided that I will be buying one item. And you probably would not guess it, but I will be buying the Ardman action figure pack. Would not have guessed that one. I was going to say Solomon Grundy, but these all look really, really nice. But with limited space available, I think if I go for anything, it will probably be one of the two black and whites by Capullo. Because I was a huge fan of the Death of the Family storyline. So it will probably be the black and white Joker because I really, really did love that representation of him. Yeah, like Melinda, limited space. So I think out of out of them, I will probably go for the Hush packs with Poison Ivy. 
because I really like the design of the character in that series. And I'll also go for the new 52 Joker because it looks really, really creepy and a little bit scary. And I'm kind of a little drawn to it in a kind of weird, that's cool way. All right, so then other merchandise news. Mezco announced two different products this month. The uh, first thing is... At the beginning of the month, they announced that they will be releasing figures based off the Batman 1966 classic TV series. They will be releasing a Batman and Robin Mezco figure as well as a Batmobile that will, we assume, will be able to also then fit these characters into. Those will be available July 2013, so you can take a look at that. The other thing that they announced towards the middle of the month is that they announced a DC Universe 2-inch blind box assortment pack for, I think it's about roughly 75 I'm not going to say the price off, because I can't remember exactly how much it is off the top of my head, and the press release didn't actually state it. But they have a uh, new pack that they will be releasing, which will come with 24 figurines inside of the box. Inside the box will include one of the in quotation marks, super secret chase figure. So Batman is part of this set as well as Harley Quinn. There's actually two different variations of Harley Quinn that will be in the box. I don't know why there's two different Harley Quinns. One has her eye blinking, the other one doesn't, but they're the exact same otherwise. So Batman, as I said, will be in that set. There's two different variations of Green Lantern, two different variations of Superman, a Wonder Woman, and an Aquaman, and then whatever the mystery chase figure is. So I don't personally like the Mezco stuff, but if you are interested, the information is on the site. Those will be coming September of 2013. I like blind box stuff. It's always really fun, but it really depends on how your comic store handles it. Mine lets you trade in duplicates for whichever one is like hanging as a display unit but these don't look particularly appealing so I probably won't be picking these up yeah I won't be touching these mainly because I'm the only person I know who likes comics in my local area so I have absolutely nobody to trade these with it just seems like a really clever way to make money off collectors Alright, so then with that, that's going to bring us straight into video game news. I won't. This is what it's all been about. This. You and me and him. Now is the time you decide. If you won't kill this psychotic piece of filth, I will. Obviously, the biggest news of the month, well, I guess I I would debate this, but the biggest news of the month was that Injustice Gods Among Us release, but... Besides the, the the game releasing, we also know that planning a number of DLCs, which we briefly talked about the last episode, but they are going to be having a number of other characters that will be added to the roster of characters that you can play with. But, in my opinion, the biggest news for the month was the fact that they announced the next Batman game for are within the franchise of Bat- the Batman Arkham games, and it will be called Batman Arkham Origins. On April 9th, they announced that Batman Arkham Origins will be coming out later this year. It will actually release this year in 2013, which we talked about this We talked about this rumor that was floating around about the new Arkham game. We were trying to figure out how exactly it could come out, but 
The title is expected to release October 25th, 2013. It is a prequel story to the previous Batman story, so that rumor from way back that was originally floating around, this is a prequel to Batman Arkham City. So the other tidbits that we've learned is that as far as some of the characters that will be involved in the game, we know that Deathstroke will be in the game, Black Mask will be the main villain in the game, and the other aspect is that Blackgate Penitentiary has a large role in the game as well. So there's there's not a lot of information, but given the fact that it's coming out so quickly in October, this is going to be something that we're probably going to be having a ton of news about in the coming months. Interesting that they have a release date of October because that, given that the game was announced, you know, this month, well, this last month, that's quite a quick development time. I mean, obviously, they have been working on it for much longer. I would not be surprised if this was being worked on in conjunction with Arkham City. Just while, you know, while you're on one, you might as well be working on the other at the same time. So I think that that's great that they're having such a a small turnaround time between games. I hope that that is the case, that they have been working on it for a long time, and they're not rushing to try to say, let's get it out, let's get it out before Christmas, let's make sure it's saturating the market, let's squeeze the dollars that we can. Being slightly smug, because I said last podcast that I thought that this would release in time for the next generation consoles, and... Having it come out in October is slap bang in the middle of... Actually, in fact, it's just a month after they expect the PlayStation 4 to have launched and also the new Xbox. So they've probably had this in development for quite a while, but because they've not made any kind of announcement until recently about the new games... Uh, consoles that are coming out they've not been able to talk about it it's exactly the same with another game that I, I, I like using which is Assassin's Creed they've got a fourth one coming out the last one I think came out last year and it's again another short turnaround period but this game is it's going out on the new consoles and it's been launched at, at the same time and that's why they've not announced that much about it because they've had it in development for a while but it's been under wraps because of the the console information and i like the fact that they're doing a a prequel as well i think that's actually a really clever way of carrying on the series and allowing yourself to produce more games but at the same time giving sort of a, a bit of mystery and and sort of finality on on the end of of arkham city obviously where talia spoiler alert kills the joker so I, I think that's clever. However, I'm a little bit worried that it's Warner Brothers' own game studio that's doing it and not Rocksteady. I think they've got big boots to fill. But from what they've said, I think that they're going to try and keep it as much the same as possible. Yes, I, I did forget to mention that aspect of it, that Rocksteady will not be developing this game. But Warner Brothers Montreal is the studio that is actually developing this game. So the kind of interesting thing behind this is the fact that the different studio working on it, but both studios are still owned by Warner Brothers, 
how closely similar the game will be in style and appearances as the previous games have been is one of the things that I'm I'm kind of wondering. But at the same point, if they do want to do the quicker turnaround, I'm fine with that. I mean, Call of Duty puts out a new Call of Duty game every single year, the same month of every single year. So it's, it's not as if it, they can't do it and they still can't improve it. I mean, if they want to put out a new Batman game every two years, I'm by all means, I'm not going to argue with that. I just think, in my mind, it seems... I, I don't know what it is, but it almost seems as if we're announcing this in April. It's coming out in October. It just seems there's not enough time to really promote this game like they did with the last two games. And I don't know if that's because Rocksteady's not developing the game. I, I just don't understand the idea behind getting this game out so quickly and not announcing it until only about five months before. So to me, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But at the same point, I think that the game could do really well. And going back to John's comments about the uh, the next-gen consoles, I think that they will end up releasing it on the next-gen consoles. And I think they'll probably end up doing the same thing they did with Batman Arkham City, where... When the Wii U came out, they released a version for Wii U, and it'll just be like an extended version, or it'll include some of the DLC stuff, and it'll come out, you know, six months after the launch of the new systems, or something like that, because it doesn't make a lot of sense for them to be releasing the game so close to the new consoles and having people go buy the new consoles. And since some of the consoles will be backwards compatible, you won't be able to play these games, so... In my mind, it would make a lot of sense for them to actually figure out a way to, or to, to make sure that they have an edition of the game available on the next-gen consoles once they release, or as, shortly thereafter. So that's all the news we have for Batman Arkham Origins. Obviously, keep checking the website for more news about Batman Arkham Origins, as because there's such a short amount of time between now and the release date, there's bound to be news about this game released I would assume almost every single week leading up to this game because if you just look at some of the publicity for the last couple Arkham games, even though it is a short amount of time, they literally could probably be releasing a clip from the game or elements from the game or or you know character designs from the game every single week from now until October and, and have plenty of stuff to release. So hopefully... We'll be seeing plenty of stuff about the game, and I assume a lot more will pick up on the actual the, the actual Warner Brothers PR round as the the magazines, the gaming magazines that are releasing it after they get their articles out in the open. The only other video game news we have is at the towards the end of the month, Warner Brothers sent out an invite to people to be beta testers for. Infinite Crisis, which is the upcoming PC game that will feature the wide variety of different variations of Batman. So if you have received it, you can go sign up for the beta. You do have to have some requirements on your computer as far as video card and, and certain other software and hardware requirements on your computer to actually play it. But I'm pretty sure you can go straight to the website for Infinite Crisis and actually look it up. If you have not seen the trailer, I suggest you check out the trailer. It does look kind of interesting. Fortunately, because my computer does not have a video card, I will probably most likely either 
not be purchasing the game or be getting a new computer at some point just because I need to get a new computer and will then be able to play the game. But I'm hoping in some way maybe it'll make its way onto the Xbox Marketplace and the PlayStation Network as a downloadable game similar to what they did with Gotham City Imposters because I would love to be able to play this game and play the different variations of Batman and that would be nice to do so nonetheless I think this game will be designed for a specific audience but I think it will also do well just because it's not a ginormous multi-console game and that is all the video game news we have we do not have any general news to go over so we'll get straight into our listener Q&A's to episode 84 and read some of the Q&As. The first one comes from Kevin, and he first says that his pick for his new Batman would be Carl Urban uh, in relation to our discussion last time about who we would pick to play Batman in the upcoming Justice League film. So he had two questions. He says, I was wondering that if you you guys were actually in the Batman universe, what characters would you be? So we'll take this question as a idea of what character would you be closely related to, not so much what character would you want to be. I would assume I would most likely be Batman, mostly because most of the staff refers to me as Batman, and it might be because I'm cold and I have no heart like Batman. That's who I would assume I would be. That's a really good question. I guess if you look at what I, you know, do in my day-to-day life, and unrelated to the fact that Dustin is Batman, I would probably be Alfred, because I'm very much responsible for making a lot of arrangements for people. So I would be a gentleman's gentleman. I would be Catwoman, because I look good in a cat suit. Seriously? I I think I would probably be Tim Drake because and and here's me inflating my ego I am very good at picking up vibes from people and sort of being two steps ahead of them but when it comes to fighting I I am I'm terrible uh, school schoolyard scraps I used to get beaten up quite badly so I think I'd be Tim Drake. And that's not saying Tim Drake's a bad fighter by any means, which, but I, I understand where he's coming from. If I was to kind of link some of the other, other staff members, I would probably also say that Joe is most likely a Tim Drake character as well, so I, we probably have two Tim Drakes. Stella is mostly Barbara Gordon, probably more on the lines of oracle than the backroll aspect Stella does a lot of the planning for a lot of us when it comes to email and stuff like that as far as our uh, comics and planning out some of the staff wide editorials on the website so that that kind of makes sense Don I 
Don's kind of like a firecracker, so I might say he would be Jason Todd because he can go off on a tangent similar to what uh, Josh and Zach used to be able to do when they were on the show. But I would say that Don's probably more Jason Todd. And moving into some of our newest co-hosts, I it's it's still too early to actually say who Rob would be, who is on the uh, .5 comic cast. But Ed, I would actually say Ed's more of a Dick Grayson because he is pretty independent and he does a pretty good job of doing things on his own and, and not really needing to be initiated into certain things. So, And just because that's the character they closely relate, this doesn't mean that's the hierarchy of TBU, but that that's probably closely related to who everybody would be. Uh, the, his other question was, out of all the Batman storylines, what would be in your top five? Well, I, I, I this is no specific order. I'll just say my f- the, the five of the books that I really enjoy, my sp- top storyline of all time is Batman No Man's Land. I've said that numerous times in the past, but Batman No Man's Land, because of all of the elements that not only deal with the Batman universe, but also all of the allies, all of the supporting characters, Gotham City, there's so many different elements that are affected and addressed in that series, and that's, well, not series, but that storyline and story arc that I love that element. Batman Hush is another one because of all the elements that are dealt with. We can go back to... Batman Nightfall is another one of my favorites because, again, of all of the characters that are involved. And if you haven't figured it out, I like the stories that actually really, really involve a lot of the characters because there are so many characters, and I like it when so many characters are actually focused on. Battle for the Cowl was a, was another one because of all the characters, and probably the one surprise one that I would say is there's a story, there was a mini series that was released called Gotham Underground. And I would suggest that one as well because, again, of all of the characters. But it doesn't necessarily have to do with continuity, but it's a good read and it involves a lot of the characters within the Batman universe. Top five, I would say I thoroughly and make no secret of the fact that I loved Whatever Happened to the Cape Crusader. And so I'm going to bundle uh, Batman R.I.P. in with that one because that whole time period in comics, I felt it was really complex storytelling and certainly at some points overly complex but it dealt with a lot of the feelings between the whole bat family everything that was going on with them uh so i really liked that one i loved the war games arc i liked batman gothic by grant morrison i really enjoyed the batman and robin storylines from from the new 52 also from previously, uh, before the New 52. And I would say there was an Arkham Asylum trade that I read, and I cannot... It wasn't the Grant Morrison Arkham Asylum one, but I really enjoyed that one because it delved a little bit more into the history of Arkham Asylum, and that's that's something that I was interested in, you know, Batman aside, was the history of uh, the treatment of mental health. This is actually... This is probably a harder question than which... Batman character would do you think you'd be like I'd probably say No Man's Land but I'm going to wrap that up with Contagion as well I both really like those story arcs but they're pretty much interrelated and without one the other doesn't make as much sense 
So I liked those. I also thought War Games trilogy was very, very good. I really enjoyed that. And that's one of the first set of Batman comics that I ever read. So it has a special place in my heart because of that. Moving slightly outside of Batman, I really like Nightwing The Lost Year. I think that's a really interesting story and I like the, the, the how it develops a relationship between Dick and Barbara in that in that storyline. I really like the Black Mirror as well. I think that's Scott Snyder's best storyline by a very very long way. It's really dark and very brooding and very tense and at the same time it shows Dick Grayson off as Batman I think in the best light and it's probably the best characterization of him I've seen in a long time and number one I would put jointly three way tie between Lonely Place of Dying Going Sane and Long Halloween and I know that's a cop out because that's given me about seven storylines but I think that all of them are, are absolutely amazing. They all explore aspects of Batman's psychology or the Joker's psychology, and I just I find them really fascinating as they're not so much action-led as they are character-led, and I just think they show what happens when you get a great writer who understands the character's that he's writing and it shows it off perfectly so those are my choices okay so moving on to the next question dougie says i can't believe you read my comment that's totally amazing i agree with you guys and think that joe is deadpan joe's deadpan delivery is that is what makes a good podcast it's fun when you disagree because i don't think you should all agree as it's boring then but i do agree with kevin i think carl urban is a good pick for batman but I hope that they don't reboot it and use Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Batman. It would be a nice continuity, and I like the idea of everything happening in the same universe like Marvel. Well, Dougie, I don't think you probably liked our movie news segment since we kind of talked about the fact that they are not planning on keeping Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Batman. I do have to agree, when, we, when I was listening through the, the last podcast... I was thinking to myself, Carl Urban probably would be a really good choice because, as John pointed out, a majority of the acting ability is the chin. And if you have seen Judge Dredd, Carl Urban is Judge Dredd, and you don't see his face the majority of the film, you see his chin. And I was thinking to myself as I watched the trailer, wow, he could actually probably really play, pull that off. So that is also a really good choice. Finally, the last question is, Alex says, great episode, guys. I was curious on what is your favorite Batman figures or collectibles that you own? So let's answer that one before I, I continue on with the next question. So the favorite figures or collectibles that I own, well, I've stated numerous times, but I'll just go through some of the, the actual items I do collect, because even though you would assume I collect everything in the world that's Batman-related, that it's not the case, because I do not have unlimited funds available to my disposal. So 
I collect a wide variety of characters from the DC Universe, the Mattel DC Universe Classics line, but I do not collect every single one of them. I collect specifically Batman-related characters or characters that I deem as major allies to Batman. So the, I include Deadman, I include Zatanna, even though they're not Batman Universe characters. But I have a, I have a good majority of those. I have the Hot Toys figures from the Dark Knight. I have the original Batman Joker and the Bank Robbery Joker. I have a couple of uh, San Diego Comic-Con exclusives that aren't really related to any of the other series. The, the giant Starro with, in the, in the bo- giant box attacking the Justice League is one of the ones that I have that reenacts the scene in Justice League of America. I have the Movie Masters from The Dark Knight. I collect the Hot Wheels, Batmobiles, and Bat Vehicles that they've released. The Dark Knight Rises Movie Masters, the Batman Legacy, Batman Unlimited, those figures. The other thing that I started to do more recently is started to collect all of the current Lego Batman sets. So I have a lot of those. There's only a couple sets that I don't have of those right now. But... Really, my collecting actually started by collecting the Justice League Unlimited action figures when they first came out. And up until just about a couple of years ago, I had every single one that they ever released. And we're talking, this is like 150 figures. I collect those loose. Everything else that I have is still mint in the packages behind showcase glass. But the Justice League Unlimited figures, I collected loose just because there were so many of them. And... I wanted to be able to display them. But realistically, my favorite collectibles or figures that I have surprisingly would probably have to be the DC Universe Classic figures and the those 6-inch action figures from Mattel. The detail on those figures continues to get better and better as time progresses and leading into the Batman Legacy characters or the figures as well as the current figures that they have with the Batman Unlimited I have seen the the newer figures, the Dark Knight Returns Batman, I've seen the Bam- Vampire Batman, and the Super Batman of Planet X. I've seen all of these figures, and they just keep getting better and better. Even though the price keeps getting more and more expensive on them, it's to a point where they're not releasing too many, where it's not impossible to collect them. With only three figures in a series, and a series only releases like... They release like a new series every six months or four months or something like that. There's not that many waves that come out per year. It used to be back in the day that they released four waves per year. I'm pretty sure at this point it's down to three waves. And even then you don't always always get three waves out within a year. But it's completely manageable where even if the figures are $20, spending $60 for a set of figures every four months is completely manageable. And the fact that they're expanding the line and not just doing, you know, the same Batman with a different paint color, they're actually doing different Batman, such as the Zurinar Batman, the Dark Knight Returns Batman, the Vampire Batman, they're expanding it. And I really think that that's a really cool idea that they should have done a long time ago, but the main reason of why they didn't do it was because they, you know, they're all about making the money and Batman sells So if they can just repaint it and not have to create a whole new mold, why not? So those are right now my favorite figures that I collect. I don't have nearly 
uh, the extensive collection that Dustin does. My favorite collectibles are the ones that generally I've received as gifts and, and usually were, were a huge surprise to me. Last Christmas, I received the Batman black and white Jim Lee statue for my older brother. And the reason that it is probably my favorite thing is because when I opened it, you know, I was super stoked. But he said, yeah, I had the choice between Frank Miller and Jim Lee. And I'm pretty sure I remember you saying you hate Frank Miller. So I got the Jim Lee one. Or a coworker one time brought me the McDonald's toys from the 1989 Batman movie or no I guess that would have been the 91 Batman movie the toys where you push down on the figure and the car drives itself along whatever flat surface you've put it on and favorite that I have personally picked up would be because he is one of my favorite characters I bought the DC Nightwing action figure the first appearance action figure so him in his spangly outfit Zipper on the costume pulled down to his navel, grinning like crazy because he's so happy that he's showing so much skin. Because I, I live in the UK, where I live, it's quite difficult to get hold of comic book figurines and merchandise. We don't even have a comic book store. I have to go two hours if I if I want to go to get one. So I don't tend to pick up a lot of stuff. And the stuff that I do, I have to buy off eBay for ridiculously expensive prices. But one of the things I did pick up that I, I really like is the Arkham City armoured Batman, the big 12-inch one. And I think that's an amazing figure. It's got loads of posability, a ridiculous number of points of articulation on there, so you can have it standing in pretty much any any pose that you you want and my mum who hates my hobbies because they they take up space and create mess as she says even she said that it was actually really really cool so that's my favorite all right so then the other bit of alex's question was also, what Batman story do you think did the best job to showcase why you love Batman, and what is the best story to showcase your favorite villain? It doesn't mean it's your favorite Batman story or favorite story of the villain, just a story that shows why you love them so much. So I'll start off with the, the villain story. I think that if you take Riddler, I really enjoy the Riddler, and I'm really wanting someone to do something worthwhile with the Riddler. If you take Riddler, and the best story to showcase... The Riddler, I think, for why I like him, is Batman Hush. Because Riddler actually teams with with uh, Hush to kind of outsmart a number of the other Batman villains and really helps Hush take down Batman in a, in a, in a psychological way. And I, I enjoy the psychological element more so than, than the let's break Batman in half or let's wear Batman down because we, we beat him to a pulp. I like the psychological element of Batman so much more than the uh, the physical element. And I think that Hush did a really good job where it really messed with the mind of Batman. And I think that the Riddler was a prominent role in that, in that storyline, but a lot of people don't really think about it because it's not called Batman Riddler, it's called Batman Hush. But Riddler was a very key component to that story and really allowed Tommy Elliott to kind of have this access into the rogues gallery that a character that didn't exist before wouldn't have been able to have. So 
I think that Riddler showcased very well in the story of Batman Hush. As far as a story of why I love Batman, really the it it really just goes back to I like Batman, but the one of the main reasons of why I like Batman is the the giant supporting cast of characters that have been written so well over such a long period of time to really enable this to be this almost singular universe that is inside of the DC universe. And that's one of the reasons why the the site is called the Batman universe is because, you know, that's what it is. The, everything that is Batman is part of this universe, but there is so much of it that has been that has been added, that has been expanded upon as the years has progressed over the last 70 plus years since Batman was first first came in, that it's great. And there's not that many other characters within the DCU universe that you can say that about. There are characters that have had, you know, more allies and, and more elements added to them, but nobody to the extent of Batman. Nobody has had as many sidekicks or partners or allies or the number of villains that have just completely expanded as years progressed. And a lot of this was during the 80s and 90s, mostly the 90s, where they started expanding the the roster of the characters. They started expanding the actual series that were being produced with Nightwing and Birds of Prey. And eventually we got Batgirl later on and we had Robin and all these different series that, you know, lasted a really long time when you think about it that it's amazing so to me the stories that best represent the love for batman that i have is the stories that incorporate so much of the elements of the batman universe so it really just goes back to the stories that i mentioned earlier batman nightfall batman no man's land batman hush these stories that incorporate so many different elements that really show how big his universe really is. And that's not to say that I don't like Batman as a singular character, but I think Batman works so much better when he's with all these other characters. And that's part of the reason why, currently, within the New 52, I have a real hard time really, really enjoying these books because we don't really see the the universe aspect that we've seen so much in the past that has really made me really appreciate the character. Because the thing is, yes, Batman is a singular character, and Batman is, by nature, a lonely, brooding character who's, who's by himself. But what makes him so much more interesting is that the fact that he's teamed with all of these characters that are not like him. That, you know, it, and you could go back to... Even like the the 70s where it was the Brave and the Bold and it was basically Batman teaming up with a different character. And even so even so with the cartoon series, Batman Brave and the Bold, the, the, the whole idea of Batman who is this dark creature who, you know, just instills fear into criminals teamed with a character who's like the complete opposite. You know, Robin who cracks jokes for like 40 years and is basically the humor relief for the series so that Batman doesn't become this dark character. And then in the nineties, when we had all of these other characters pop up, you know, we've, we've got Cassandra Cain and Stephanie Brown and Tim Drake and Jason Todd, all of these characters add these emotional elements to Batman that you don't see if the character's just by himself all the time. And that's one of the things that some of the books nowadays lack is the fact that, you know, we had uh, death of the family, which, 
you know, just reinstated the fact that Batman is not going to be working with the other members of the Batman universe, which to me was was a complete downfall because I think that's one of the greatest aspects of the character is that he has all of these other people that he can rely on. He doesn't have to do it all by himself, even though he he can and they can tell and they can tell stories that where he can. I think it's great when they they tell the stories that you know Batman doesn't have to rely on all of these you know these members of the Justice League that he teams with that have superpowers. He can rely on people that he's trained that he trusts that he can work with and and you know know the, exactly what they're going to do in situations and not have to rely on people that you know he is part of a team with Justice League but he's not on the same page as them so those stories are probably the ones that most represent my love for Batman which is probably I don't know the complete opposite of what you would expect because I'm sure most people would expect like oh Batman Year One where you know he's all by himself. I, I like the character when he's with all of these other characters. We brought up a point earlier in the podcast where we referenced the fact that Batman has no superpowers. Batman is just a not necessarily just a regular person, but he is he is a person. He is mortal. He can screw up and he does screw up and my favorite stories are the ones the stories that make me love the character the most are the ones where he fails because you see that so very very human reaction from him every time and it it really serves to remind you that yeah even though he's amazing and he can do things that nobody else can he's still just a person and he is still going to fail from time to time and unfortunately it's usually in the big situations that he does you know not getting to jason todd in time being broken down by bane and i think part of the other reason i i do love those is that it shows the support system that he really has in place and like dustin said that whole gallery of characters that are there to come help pick him back up because without them he arguably would not have survived so many of the things that have happened to him over the years without a support gallery. So I, I like those the most because they above all else show Batman's humanity. And even if that's a side that he sometimes tries to stifle, it, uh, it will always come out when he feels that he's failed someone or something. As for the story that best illustrates one of my favorite villains would be Nightwing the Great Leap because it was it was a story about Harvey Dent and he's always a really interesting character to me because you've got one half of him who is still Harvey Dent and who is just appalled at what Two-Face is doing and it's it's always a battle for which side is going to win out and this time he actually contracted Nightwing to keep one of his former love interests safe because he didn't say but he knew someone was after her and it turned out to be him and at the very end you know, Nightwing failed, and Harvey Dent just went nuts and blamed Nightwing 100%. And it was, how could you let this happen? You were supposed to keep her safe, blah, blah, blah. And it, that was where he, to me, really represented the fact that he is of two minds at all times. And what a difficult struggle that must be for him. He's a very sympathetic villain to me in that way, because he, he really was trying to do the right thing as Harvey, Two-Face just happened to be that much smarter in that particular story. For 
the storyline that best represents my favourite villain, I will... Uh, I keep banging on about it, but it, I think it's perhaps one of the best Batman storylines. Batman going sane, in which we basically see the Joker's relationship with Batman and how the Joker interrelates with and relates to the character of Batman. You see Batman supposedly die and then the Joker has no real reason to exist. But as more and more bits and pieces sort of come back to him and, and Batman returns, you see him return to to the way of life. And I, I really like the ending of that as well, where Batman sort of discusses whether the Joker even remembered that he had a fiance at the end of it or whether he even actually loved her, and there was a decent bit of humanity deep down inside him somewhere. And I think it's a really, really interesting storyline, and it's a really well-told storyline, and it it kept me gripped. As for the way that sort of best represents what I love about Batman, it's kind of tied into what you guys were saying about, you know, his support network and his family is the psychology and the, to an extent, sort of the humanity of of the character. So his relationship with his rogues gallery, how they all interrelate and are in a way caused by him, but at the same time aren't caused by him and... And my favourite storylines are when they sort of really delve into that. So pretty much anything written by Jeff Loeb, you know, does that perfectly. Just, you know, you're talking about Hush, and but the scene that I always take away from that is, you know, where Batman nearly kills the Joker and is only stopped by Jim Gordon threatening to blow his head off. And... Another example is is something like The Lonely Place of Dying, where Batman is so distraught by the death of Jason Todd that he basically goes off the deep end and has to be brought back by, by Tim basically working out who Batman is and, and turning around to, to Dick and going, you know, he needs Robin, are you going to come back? And him having to take that that place, and I think that's a, a very interesting section of the character that's probably not always focused upon, but for me, always produces the most interesting and detailed stories. You know, where Dustin is very much about the history, the history to reference Stella. I, you know, I'm very much about the the character and characters and characterization i think is is what really appeals to me all right so that is all of our listener q and a's be sure to send your listener q and a's to podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net or you can in fact leave your comments on the podcast post on the website and we will discuss your questions for the next episode you can pretty much ask anything and everything related to Batman or 
even uh, if you wanted to know other things, if we have enough time, we could discuss some other elements of the DC Universe or other elements in general. We'll leave it up to you guys to present the questions and we'll just decide whether or not we can actually go through them. But if they're Batman related, we'll definitely get to them. With that, that is everything for this episode. I want to remind everybody to head over to the website for all the latest news related to movies, merchandise, TV, video games, and of course the comics as well. You can also check out all the other podcasts we have to offer. If you haven't actually taken a look at the website in a while, you will be quite surprised on how many different podcasts we actually are offering. There are actually a number of podcasts. If you normally check the website, Fridays at noon is normally when the podcast posts. And there have been Fridays in the month of April that have actually released over five different episodes from the Batman universe on one day. So there's all kinds of stuff going on, including Batgirl Oracle has actually moved over to the Batman universe. So all of the episodes and new episodes are being released at the Batman universe. We have a podcast dedicated to Robin, which is called the Batman universe taking flight that releases an episode roughly every two weeks. We have commentaries that we have been releasing. We started releasing them this month with two episodes of Batman Brave and the Bold released. But going forward, we have some other episodes that we'll be reviewing, including coming up, we have episodes of Batman the Animated Series, some of which have been asked for by you guys, the fans, for us to give commentaries for. So we are planning on releasing a new commentary every two weeks. So be sure to check that out. We also have, obviously, new episodes of the Comic Cast, but also we have the Point Five Comic Cast, which takes a look at some of the uh, minor characters within the Batman universe that we are no longer featuring on the Comic Cast, such as Batwing, Batwoman, Birds of Prey, Talon, those characters that are still part of the Batman universe, but are not as tied to the the main books as, as much as uh, the other ones. In addition to that, if you check out the Batman universe specials, We are trying to release roughly about one new special per month. In the month of April, we actually released a special dedicated to reviewing Batman Gotham by Gaslight. And we launched a new series for the specials, which is called The Aftercast, where Joe, myself, and John all get together and we basically complain about something within the DC Universe. So if you are taking a look at that, the first episode for that has also posted, and that is us talking about how horrible Batgirl and Barbara Gordon is in the New 52. So if you are interested in taking a look at that, you can do that as well. There's also new episodes of the Batman Universe Bat Fans, as well as the separate feed for Bat Books for Beginners also posts a new episode roughly about every two weeks as well. So there's always that new episode's posted pretty much every single week of the month so if you are taking a look on fridays you will normally find brand new episodes from the batman universe in addition to that you can follow us at facebook twitter and youtube you can check out our facebook group to discuss things with other bat fans you can send us reviews on itunes those are always greatly appreciated so with that you can as i said email us at podcast at the That's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Melinda. And this is John. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. And before the ladies take the opportunity of Dustin's kind invite to 
email personal questions yes i am as hot as i sound in real life it's like a washerboard <laughs> oh boy <laughs> i have a very inflated opinion of myself <laughs> not as inflated as stan lee so it's okay that's true i don't think i could inflate it that high be weird <laughs> Sorry, that was a car. Um, I'd, when you're talking, the road is completely silent. When I talk, they they bloody all come along. Um, are we going to talk about uh, Teen Titans today? Uh, we are not going to dis- discuss individual episodes, but we are going to talk about it. Like we're not going to break down the episodes like we did with Young Justice. Oh, good. They're so terrible. Yeah, they are. I watched, I, it, I watched it this morning. So did I. <laughs> I completely forgot it was airing, so I have seen none of them. You're not missing anything. Don't worry. Oh, oh thank God for that. If you would see it, basically, I think you made a comment somewhere on the site about, I can't believe they're replacing Young Justice with this crap. Yes. I'd, yeah. I'd, uh, I was okay. pretty sure you made that comment, or somebody else made yes. the comment, and you, you commented on their comments or something. So, yeah, it's pretty much that exact same theory. It's awful. Man, it's it's not even like... It, it has... It, oh, we'll, we'll get into it. Because it would be actually interesting to hear our thoughts when we talk about it. Yeah. Alright, so... Mar- uh, uh, you I guys mean, tried be- invading us. It didn't work. And to be fair... When was that? War of 1812. You guys, America tried to invade Canada, we kicked you out, and then we marched down and burned down the White House. And then we left. Because <laughs> we weren't interested in invading. I, I don't remember that, that. I don't remember the story going like that. Oh, well, we probably did learn very different versions of it. Because I've, yes, I've heard... Probably, that. Probably. I'm, I'm hoping... I'm hoping that Melinda's version of history was the Canadians one and Dustin's version of history of that is the Americans <laughs> one and you've both been taught something completely the opposite. The, like I remember the, the extent of the War of 1812 that I remember was it, it was I I didn't I don't remember it having anything to do with Canada at all. What I remember it having to do with was uh the British Empire burnt the the white house mm-hmm. down hell yeah <laughs> i remember that aspect and i remember that it was it all derived from some of the conflicts that britain was having with france but like outside of that a lot of it was britain was trying to support the uh the native americans to try to get them to revolt against us because they themselves were not going to be able to overtake us so they were siding with the Native Americans, and in turn, they were hoping that the Native Americans would attack the same time they would attack, and we would get completely overrun and have to go back to the British Empire. 
I don't remember Canada being any. Well, because we were still part of the British Empire at the time. We didn't get Confederation until 1863. But um, what happened was one of your generals, A, made a really, like, bonerific comment and was like, well, we'll just go up to Canada. You know, we'll invade. It was either Ottawa or, or Toronto. And he was like, it'll be a matter of a few days. Then we'll have Canada. The British won't have a foothold in North America. Like, it's totally fine. So they marched up. Um, and they got pushed back because Canada wasn't having any of that. So they marched them so far back that they were able to take the White House and burn it. Um, like it, because we were still under British dominion at the time, you probably would have learned that it was Britain. Um, but because it was Canada who did it, we always learned it was Canada, um, but yeah, after we burned the White House, we we left because we really weren't interested in invading. We just didn't want to be invaded. And that was the only time that Canada has ever been invaded or attacked. Interesting. 